Tonight I want to talk about uh, what's known as beginner's mind or um, sometimes don't know mind. I heard a thing, Gil Fronsdell was talking about this and something I listened to the other day. And um, it's also something that I've been um, reflecting on myself and in offering in the meditations in the morning this invitation to really let go of our preconceived ideas about what things are or what they should be, this, this willingness to acknowledge that we don't know. We think we do. Um, we think we know all the time, but um, we don't. We're actually just caught up in our ideas and our, our habits of mind. One thing I do want to share, one thing that Gil said, which I thought was cute, he was talking about beginning meditators come to practice, and they absolutely, of course, have beginner's mind. They know they have beginner's mind because they don't know. They're just beginning. And he says, but one thing that very advanced practitioners are good at is um, beginner's mind. It's not that you get into this and you all of a sudden have all the answers. It's, that's not how it works. It's counterintuitive. That's what we like. We think if we stat, study and practice um, for years or however long that we will have it all figured out. And that is what the, the, let's say, problem is that we want certainty in this world of uncertainty. This craving for certainty is um, a place where we're going to um, struggle because we create a story about should and must and have and this and that. Um, and we have to have those things to um, kind of maneuver through the world, but if we're so attached to them, that's when they cause problems. That's when it becomes difficult and um, gets in the way of actually being connected to the experience of the moment. And the idea of a beginner's mind is um, often attributed to or most popularly attributed to the book Zen Mind Beginner's Mind by Shinri Suzuki, which was a collection of his teachings, which is a really good book. And he says, um, the true purpose is to see things as they are, to observe things as they are, and to let everything go as it goes. Just let Everything go as it goes and see things as they are. That's really simple, but it's not easy, as so much of this practice is. It's, it's simple, but not easy. And um, it's a, as I mentioned, it's a Zen idea, but it's also compatible with Theravada teaching of don't know mind, acknowledging that we don't know. Um, beginner's mind, you, a beginner doesn't know. Uh, you, you start taking piano lessons, you don't know how to play the piano. You don't take lessons because you already know how to do it. You take lessons because you don't know. So to keep that, uh, that, that, um, that curiosity alive, to keep that openness is really important. And the same thing with don't know mind. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I am not sure what the what the answer is. I'm not sure what's happening. Let me really tune in. That's what this these two ideas, or basically one idea, kind of uh, uh, 
with two pointed out in two different ways, that's what this is about. We don't know. We just think we know. We get into these habits of mind, all this can all this conditioning, looking for the answer. How teach me this stuff in five steps? How can I be happy in five steps? And everything, you know, blossoms and blooms and, and la di da di da. You know that doesn't happen. Um, but we can find ease with what does happen, but there's a, there's a way to do it, and it's not always um, easy to get there. Um, there's, a, uh, there's an example. The, an example of Don't Know Mind is, again, from Gill. And so let me just read something he wrote. Uh, he said, When I was a kitchen manager in a monastery, I saw how much I was driven by the need to be liked. The way I talked and behaved with the crew was often influenced by this desire to ensure that what I did or said did not trigger their reactivity and dislike. I felt I had to tiptoe around their and my egos. But during that year, I began to question my need to be liked. Upon what authority was I basing this need? Did I really know if it was important to have people like me? Don't know. There's this idea we, we get into. So he got into this idea of needing to be liked. I have to be liked. I'm, I'm familiar with that one as well. It's like I really want people to, be, to like me and go through all these gyrations, but never investigating that. It's like, do I really need people to like me? What will change in my life if every person I meet likes me? And is that even possible? And am I chasing something? You know, so we come up with these, these rules, so to speak, for moving through the world, these ideas of how it should be. And I was talking to a friend about this today, how I used to have all these rules of uh, behaving and measurements. I would measure in my mind if, if this, if I made it to this, then it meant that. And it was a, a level of success or achievement or something. And um, I discovered many, many, many years ago, I had an epiphany once. I said, I was trying to figure something, I was trying to do something and meet some criteria that I had created. And I stopped and I said, who made that rule? That was the beginner's mind. That was the don't know mind. Where did this rule come from? And the answer was me. I made it up. And so then I made a new rule. <laughs> and the new rule is, if um, who made this rule? If the answer is Mary, then it's probably a lousy rule. Just let it go. Because I try to shape the world by, by putting things into categories and making rules about how things are supposed to be, how I'm supposed to be, how you're supposed to be with me, how I'm supposed to be with you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And... Um, we have the and we come to it honestly because we have conditioning and I've talked about this time and time again and and this is such a important part of Buddhist teaching is we are conditioned beings to move in certain ways to react in certain ways but we don't even think about it oftentimes and we have these preconceived ideas these fixed ideas which the Buddha says cause so much suffering and dissatisfaction, and us, we create, have assumptions. I have lots of assumptions about things. 
I see something or you say something and I immediately make an assumption. And often I am wrong. And I have said, I don't know how many times I've said, when am I going to stop assuming? I don't have an answer to that question because I've been saying that for a long time and I still assume it's just autopilot, autopilot, autopilot. I just make assumptions. And again, as I said, sometimes we have to make assumptions that I have to assume that if I don't stop at a red light, bad things might happen. I mean, that's a, that's a wise assumption. That's a skillful assumption. But my assumption about behaviors and my assumptions about what you're actually thinking and what you actually mean, and if I say this, then you'll do that, and you did that, so that means that those types of things um, really cause so much suffering, so much dissatisfaction. Um, and if we are uncomfortable, if we are dissatisfied, if we are caught in this place of suffering, dissatisfaction, um, are we willing to let go of, ide of the ideas that we cherish and that we hold on to? Are we willing to say, is this even true? Where does this fall into the world, my world? And Stephen Batchelor uh, wrote about this, and I really love what he says about this, this beginner's mind, don't know mind. He says it is an is it true? Is it, it's an uncompromising inquiry into what is going on at any given moment. This entails the suspension of all views. Views are preconditioned ideas and we tend to replace our experience with our views. That's a key point. Views are preconditioned. And we replace our experience with our views. We have a sense, there's sensory input, a sound, a sight, a thought. There's, so there's this perception, we, it's a bell, it's a, it's, a, it's a sound of music, it's this, it's I feel a touch. Um, and the preconception immediately moves in without examination. What is the, what is the thing, an unexamined mind is not worth living? You know, unexamined because we're moving through the world just a little bit um, distant from reality. We're not in touch with reality because we're, we're caught in our preconceived ideas. I, I've told this story many times, but it, it is a perfect example of this. When I used to teach at the meditation center and the air conditioner, I would hear it click and turn on and where the teacher sat, the air conditioner blew right on you. And I couldn't stand it. Um, if it was warm, I was happy, but it just kept going and I would get really cold. And I, would, I was leading a meditation and I heard the click click of the, of, the, um, of the air conditioner and I immediately went into, oh God, no, not that. Oh, it's gonna be awful, I'm gonna hate it. And it was cold and it was blowing on me and I'm like, oh, I'm so miserable, this is awful. Meanwhile, I'm telling you to return, relax, blah, blah. I'm leading a meditation and in my head, I'm going, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. And then I stopped and I said, do you hate it? Is it true? I asked the question, is this true? What is this? And I went, it's actually not bad. I'm actually fine. I just had the pre, I had an experience where it blew on me once and it was really, really cold, 
and I was miserable. So as soon as I hear it go on, I immediately become miserable, totally disregarding the reality of the experience, which was fine. But we, how often do we do that? How often do we walk through the world disconnected from our actual feelings, disconnected from what's really going on because we are in our preconceived ideas. And we have to be willing to investigate those. And that, me and the air conditioner, is a very simple thing. But um, we have to be willing to investigate views about ourselves, like Gil's, Gil's example of, am I a person that needs to have everyone like me? I had such a struggle when I was walking away from archaeology and, and wasn't going to return to the excavations many, many years ago. I was in archae did um, field archaeology, and um, I was so wrapped up in the self-view of how you would see me. If I didn't do archaeology anymore, then you would see me differently, and it would mean all these other things, and then maybe you wouldn't like me as much. And it's a really painful place to be when you are so attached to these fixed views about self, about other. It's so painful. It's so painful. Um, we get so stuck in them, we deny reality. And so this practice of if there is discomfort, even if there's not discomfort, what is going on right now? They, there's the famous saying that everything you let go of has claw marks in it. I mean, sometimes that's true because we're so willing to not let go. And um, But if letting go of these preconceived ideas leads to liberation, then maybe that's a path to take. In fact, in, uh, when the Buddha talks about um, the path to liberation, there's a thing called stream entry. And one of the things you let go of in stream entry is fixed views, these views of self, this idea of who I am, this I, me, my. We just kind of release it. Um, so Tanjaf Tanasurubiku, a monk, he talks about this, and he has a couple of points about beginner's mind. And he says... If you have everything all figured out beforehand, it gets in the way of learning. That's, you don't let anything new in because I got all the answers. Have you ever talked to somebody, and I know you have, who has all the answers? And you can't explain a thing because, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And it's like, but you're doing it wrong. You're driving off the side of a cliff. It's like, no, I got this. It's like. You don't. It's because they're so trapped in their mind. Or have I've been that person too? It's like, no, I got this. I can't be told anything because if I if I have to if I admit I don't know, then blah blah blah. It means this. So, um, it doesn't mean. And this is a is a, a is a good point that Tan Jeff brings out. He says it doesn't mean that we're constantly reinventing the wheel. We're not always redoing everything from ground zero. We have experiences we have wisdom we have this knowledge base um but we don't think that just because it happened like that before it's going to happen now we bring fresh eyes every time to our experience you know we let go of the agenda we have the old lessons but they may not apply now there's wisdom that comes from this we have the wisdom 
to hold what's happening. It's like like people talk about. It's like um, we react differently to the same situation because we have some clarity. We're fully present in the situation, and because of the clarity we've developed over willingness to let go, we can now hold things with more equanimity because this is a path to equanimity. It's absolutely a path to equanimity. And he also says to bring inquisitive doubt, this questioning, you know, the right kind of doubt. It's like, is this true? It's like, you know, question authority. It's like, there's inquisitiveness, this curiosity for everything. Is this true or am I stuck on an old idea? Is it really cold and miserable or am I stuck in an old idea of I think I'm cold and miserable? It's like I used to really, especially when I was a kid, but I think it might be just the preteen, teenage thing that happens um, but a lot of times I'll decide I won't like something. I'll have to go somewhere for some reason and I'll decide beforehand that I won't like it and I'll get there and I'll realize I'm enjoying it, what's happening, whether it's a show or a meeting or whatever it is, but I'm like bound and determined not to let anyone know that I actually am having a good time because that would mean I was wrong and I would rather pretend to be miserable than admit I was wrong. I have all these pictures of myself as a, like a 10-year-old, a like arms crossed, all pouty. Meh, I'm not having fun. Me. It's like that's what it feels like. It's like, no, this is terrible. Even though it's like, oh, actually, this is nice. But there's that denial of reality because we're so attached to our preconceived ideas, to our, our, our assumptions about how it's going to be. And when we're not paying attention, we, get, we stay in those assumptions. We have a miserable time, even though it's wonderful. Even though if we let go, we could just be like, wow, this is great. So it's, it's, we have to bring that curiosity. Is this, um, what is this? Is this true? And if we bring a fresh attitude, we can begin to see things we didn't see before. Open, there's a new pair of glasses, a new pair of eyes to see things with. This clarity. The, you know, the Buddha, um, when he was enlightened, he was unsure about whether he wanted to teach because he thought people were so caught in, in greed, hatred, and delusion. And the Brahma, Brahmin from um, one of the deities said, no, no, there's people with only a little dust in their eyes and they need you. So when we actually are willing to be inquisitive and ask, what is this? Is this true? What is actually the experience of the moment? You know, the dust, the dust kind of dissolves from the eyes and we see things clearly. And we have to look again and again and again. It's not just one and done. It's over because each experience, each moment is something new. That's why when you're paying attention and some sound, let's say, comes in and it's pleasant, it can change to unpleasant because it's not just it's pleasant and it's always going to stay pleasant. It may shift and something that's unpleasant may shift to pleasant or neutral turns into pleasant or unpleasant. If we're paying attention, we have to pay attention. 
And then um, one other, uh, another thing that Tan Jess says is to try on new ideas, different behavior. You know, we let go of those assumptions. You know, what if the future is going to be bad? We don't know. What if it's going to be good? So again, let go of assumptions. Um, and then he told this story about Yo-Yo Ma, the famous cellist, who was playing one time and a string broke. And instead of stopping and changing the string, he continued in the concert trying to um, invent a new way of playing. And he said that it was one of the most invigorating and enjoyable concerts he had given because he broke out of the box. It's like they talk about people thinking outside of the box, outside of the rut, outside of the habits, the way things are always done. Fresh, new, that's what we bring when we, that's what's where we're going when we, we are willing to say, I don't know. What is this? Don't know mind. Um, beginner's mind. Don't know. Clueless. I don't know. No preference, because I don't know. And part of this also means being willing to be with the unpleasant, because that's what's here. That's what's here. There's a, a, a monk, um, Tibetan he wrote a young, younger Mingyur, excuse me, Yonge Mingyur Rinpoche. He wrote this book called In Love with the World, which was really wonderful. But in there he says, do not run away from unpleasant feelings or try to manipulate them into pleasant feelings. I love that line. Do not try to manipulate the unpleasant into pleasant. Stay with what is. And it's helpful to identify your habits, your storylines. You know, your is it is anger your go-to? Is fear your go-to? Your planning, catastrophizing. What's your story about you? Your fixed idea. Who are you? You're an angry person. You're an inadequate person. You're unlovable. You know, what is it? What are your expectations? Can you let go of those? So it's a continual inquiry, a continual inquiry. And then finally, um, I like this as well. Um, I think this is also from Gil. As a Buddhist practice, not knowing leads to more than an intimacy and open mind. It can be used as a sword to cut through all the ways that the mind clings. If we can wield this sword until the mind lets go of itself and finally knows ultimate freedom, then not knowing has served its ultimate purpose. So we just continue to cut through all these ways we think we know, all these ways we, we cling. It, it's ultimate freedom. Um, and it can be painful to let go. It can be really painful to let go of that stuff. That it's all we know. What, what will it be if we don't? And so the invitation, as always, is to just, just try it. Just see. Don't know mind. Um, I had a thought pop into my head. Oh, yeah. The, it's, it's, again, it seems counterintuitive. The, the more we can be willing to say, I don't know, you know, I have no clue. I'm clueless. You would think that you would feel like stupid or less than or whatever, but there's a tremendous freedom in not having to have all the answers. 
When you have to have all the answers, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. And if you can let go of the need or the, the, the clinging to the idea of being a person who has the answers to whatever it is, even if it's simply, what's the weather going to be like today? Let go. There's so much freedom because you're open to be fully present and intimate with right now. So that's, that's a, a wish um, and a, always a, a helpful um, way to move through the world is like, I don't know. I'm still making assumptions left and right. So I know I have some work to do, but I've also experienced a tremendous amount of freedom with the willingness to say, I don't have a clue. I don't know. Honestly and truly, all I know is I'm inhaling, I'm exhaling. I'm inhaling, I'm exhaling. And everything else is just a flow. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, my friends, for your kind attention. And I hope this has been of some benefit. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.